Welcome to HSBC Global Viewpoint, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. The following podcast was recorded for publication on the 1st of August. All the disclosures and disclaimers associated with this podcast must be viewed on the link attached to your media player. Welcome, everybody, to the ESG Brief from the team here at HSBC Global Research. I'm your host, Jack Reed, and in this edition, we are joined by our head of environmental, social, and governance research, Wei Shen Chan. Today, we're talking about the disclosure by companies of their Scope 3 climate emissions. What are Scope 3 emissions and how widely disclosed are they? Well, Wei Shen is here to explain this less developed, perhaps, but no less exciting aspect of climate disclosure. Wei Shen, welcome. Thank you very much, Jack. Yes, I think Scope 3 emissions are extremely exciting, so very good to be here. Let's start with the definitions. What are Scope 1, 2, and 3 emissions? Absolutely. Scope 1 emissions are the direct emissions from, say, the combustion of fossil fuels. So if you are a coal-fired power plant, all the coal that you burn, that is your Scope 1 emissions. Scope 2 emissions are indirect emissions. So the emissions generated from the consumption of electricity and heat, so the, the purchases of electricity, and it would required to know the carbon intensity of that electricity production. Now, scope three is everything that is not included in scope one and scope two. So it is the full value chain emissions that a company has possibly a bit of influence over, a bit of control over, right upstream from the beginning, the extraction, the production and transportation of materials, right down to the downstream, the consumption of the products and services, as well as the end of life. So a very, very broad swathe of emissions there. So lots of emission sources there, but not a lot of emissions that companies are actually talking about. So many, many companies are now disclosing their carbon emissions. Definitely scope one, that's fairly easy to calculate. Scope two is easy if you know the carbon intensity of the electricity purchases. The disclosure rates for scope one and scope two emissions have been improving. And that's because the regulatory requirements of various jurisdictions Uh, are there for them to disclose their emissions, but very, very few actually require scope three emissions disclosures. Scope three is where it becomes complicated. And at the same time, scope three emissions can often account for the largest share or part of corporate related emissions. If we take the oil and gas industry, for example, they have direct emissions in the extraction of of their fossil fuels. They have probably less indirect emissions on the scope two, the operations, for example, but the vast majority of emissions from a scope three perspective for an oil and gas company is when the end users, so car users and sort of gas users commercially use their products. And that is definitely the largest share in terms of an oil and gas company. And where is the data coming from that you've been looking at? Scope 3 emissions are quite hard to come by. Not that many companies disclose it voluntarily. There are a few organizations which aggregate this. So the CDP, formerly known as the Carbon Disclosure Project, tells us which companies 
in their disclosure regime have scope three missions. Uh, the the S and P Global twelve hundred index actually ha- has some interesting information on scope three missions, and we can see through a lot of the different sectors that uh, are a part of that that scope three missions are most often not disclosed by uh, the the companies in this index. And I suppose the research into this is complicated by the fact that there are so many sources of these so-called scope three emissions, both upstream and downstream. That's absolutely correct, Jack. There, there are actually around 15 categories of scope three emissions, which makes it quite challenging to to sort of find a breakdown on. If we think about the eight upstream categories, things like purchased goods and services, waste generated in operations and upstream leased assets. And when we look at downstream, we've got investments, franchises, end of life treatment. Not every company will be gathering the appropriate information in terms of emissions for all those different categories. So it makes comparing scope three emissions between one company and another very, very challenging indeed. Now, in July, you published a really comprehensive report on this topic, and I'd like to uh, come on to uh, some of the feedback that you've received a little bit later on. But you refer to Scope 3 emissions in the title of the report as the largest piece of the net zero jigsaw. Why is it so important in your view? It's important for investors and other stakeholders to be aware of Scope 3 emissions because it helps them to better assess the potential risks and opportunities with the companies they invest in. For example, if a company has a large exposure to upstream emissions in their scope three, if there is a tightening of regulations or an increase in a carbon price, they would be better able to assess the effect on the company's potential costs if the carbon price goes up. At the same time, many, many companies that have net zero targets do not include scope three emissions within their net zero targets. So they're only implementing corporate strategies to reduce their scope one and scope two emissions. And that can give rise to the perception of greenwashing, which is never a good thing. So if greenwashing is a risk here, what are regulators doing to minimize that? So historically, there hasn't been that much regulatory oversight of scope three emissions, but that's definitely changing. We, we think that scope three disclosures from a regulatory point of view are on the horizon. We see that coming in, for example, in Singapore, in, in New Zealand. It's being proposed for a couple of years time. I think it's 2024 for the European Union. And it was something that the SEC in the US mentioned, even though there was quite a lot of pushback from companies. So it is entering the the, the mindshare of regulators. At the same time, central banks have begun to include scope three in their climate stress tests to see how resilient the financial system overall would be to uh, a climate shock or anything like that. So it's definitely on the horizon for many, many companies and many, many economies. Weishin, among investors, how well understood are these scope three emissions? The awareness has grown amongst the general investment community, but given the strong support we've had for this report after it came out, I think uh, the awareness could always be improved. This is not just for the investment community, but also for the corporates themselves. It is definitely more challenging to disclose upon scope three emissions because of the challenges of boundary setting, the challenges of time frame, etc. So it's uh, a while before we get a decent level of 
uh, awareness and engagement, but we've seen a growth in the number of both companies and investors asking us questions about scope three emissions. Two of the companies that you cite in the report for their level of disclosure are Alphabet and Google. What lessons do we learn from what they have to say about scope three emissions? In, in our report, we highlight that Microsoft and Alphabet are one of the few companies that did give a breakdown of their scope three emissions to, to quite a bit of detail. From memory, it was eight, nine or 10 categories disclosed, which is, which is very, very good. The interesting takeaway there is that Microsoft and Alphabet, although they are similar companies in a very, very similar sector, the different categories which they chose to disclose upon for their scope three emissions were, were different, which means that actually getting comparability and consistency between two companies in the same sector is very, very challenging. One of the quirks of scope three emissions is that they can occur over different time boundaries. For example, if you're looking at purchase goods and services, they may not necessarily have been made in the current year, they may be historical. And if we're looking at the end of life of your particular product, you have to make a guess as a company as to when that will happen. It will happen in the future, but will that be this reporting year or in, the, in, the, in a few years to come? So it's not easy for that comparison to be made, but it's a great start for companies to start to collect the data, to measure their exposure, and begin to disclose that to the general public. And just in terms of background, who decides what's in scope for scope one, two, and three disclosures? So the, the scope one and the scope two and the scope three emissions are defined by the Greenhouse Gas Protocol, an organization that was set up between the World Resources Institute, the WRI, and the World Business Council on Sustainable Development. And that B WBCSD is the reason why most companies, when they're looking at their greenhouse gas uh, accounting, they, they use the greenhouse gas protocol. So they are the ones, the organization, are the ones that have defined these 15 categories, and they will continue to evolve. We don't think they cover absolutely everything. There have been a number of companies that have actually complained that they think there should be more categories. So we think there will be a continual evolution as more companies disclose on their scope three and more stakeholders say, well, this is not quite adequate. It doesn't tell us the entire picture. So this is something that will continue to evolve, but it will most likely fall under the greenhouse gas protocol. That's great, Wish, and thank you very much. All super interesting to learn from you. Final question, is there a sequel? Funny you should ask that, Jack. There is actually something emerging called Scope 4 emissions, which refer to the emissions that no longer occur as a result of a, a certain activity by an entity. So they're often known as avoided emissions. However, there is no universal definition or accounting standard for Scope 4 emissions, so it's probably something we will leave for another time. Weixin, thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much for having me, Jack. Always a pleasure. That's all the time we have for this edition. If you are listening to this podcast from a website, remember the ESG Brief and our macro podcasts, including our newest series from Asia called Under the Banyan Tree, are available on Apple and Spotify podcast channels. Just search for HSBC Global Viewpoint and you'll find us there. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back soon.
Thank you for joining us at HSBC Global Viewpoint. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes.